A reading from Isaiah 52, verses 7 to 10. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth into singing, you wastelands of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you, and also with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a person, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, may we, with our own eyes, see a new delight of your Son, that we may bear witness to his light for those who have yet to see. May we behold anew the beauty of Christ and publish the gospel of his peace in the midst of our present darkness. We pray all these in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. As we continue to endure this pandemic for a very peculiar Christmas season, It's especially fitting that we venture into our reading in Isaiah chapter 52. Because for a fleeting moment in this chapter, the prophet Isaiah caught a glimpse of future hope for his own people. And for ourselves, we too hope to see 
We hope to see a glint of a new day after all this calendar year had heaped upon us. For the prophet Isaiah, it was like looking up into the night sky to see a shooting star dart across his view. Of course, that sighting was not by chance. God rolled away the curtain of time, and Isaiah saw the twinkling colors of a faraway sun, even way before his own people were to be submerged in a far worse predicament than we are presently facing. See, at the time of writing of Isaiah's vision, it had already been decades since the land of the north of Jerusalem, once occupied by the ten tribes of Israel, had been laid waste by Assyria. Their cities and towns were overrun and emptied out. Tens of thousands were deported northeast into the heart of Assyria. Only a handful were left behind. The poorest among those who survived, and they were resettled into Samaria to tend the fields and the vineyards. But for the south, in the kingdom of Judah, by, by a miracle, Jerusalem had just narrowly escaped Assyrian conquest. But it would not be for too long before the yet dormant Babylonian Empire would breach through her walls and then do what God's people thought would be impossible. That is, the temple of Yahweh would be turned into rubble. Isaiah foresaw this future of unprecedented suffering as the ripening of divine judgment on Israel and Judah because of their evil because of their injustice, because of their unrepentant and stubborn idolatry. Now the trauma of warfare would bring them unimaginable grief to both Israel and Judah, and they would be descending into a state of prolonged hibernation. They would be in deep sleep, but without any sleep, without getting any rest, as they are far away from their home and country. Now, seeing this beyond the present time, the prophet Isaiah, he sounded an alarm within his own timeline, and he let it ring out yet into the future, calling out to his own people who have yet to suffer their sentence, calling out to them to get up from their hibernation, to get out from their exile. In chapter 52, Isaiah had written this post-dated letter. This is a post-dated letter a post-dated prophecy to be read and heard when the time of reckoning would be fulfilled. And so Isaiah wrote in verse 1, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Lose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. God here is speaking through the prophet and he was already waking up his people who will one day be brought to deep sleep, to be led away unwillingly into the dark of night. God says to them into the future, as it were, get up from your sleep, put on your party clothes, a table is set for you, your exile has come to an end. The dust of warfare will still be swirling in the air and already God's people were told to brush the dirt off themselves and to prepare for their flight home. Now this is the same urgent compassion, the same familiar voice, the same imminent presence of God as from the very distant past when he had first rescued them from Egypt. And then now, here in this chapter, God has gone ahead into the future 
into the bleakness of his people's exile. See, the Lord God who sees all of time in a glance, who knows the beginning as the end and all the middling bits, he sees his people all through their years. This same God, this same God says he sees you, he sees me in all our moments, in all our days and years that we must go through. The same God who had spoken from the past as he did in the future is now speaking to us, speaking to you, he's speaking to me this Christmas day. Awake from your sleep of night, be gone from your exile and rise to a day begotten by my light. Put on your festive clothes because your pain, your mourning, your sorrow, they've come to an end. Now, this wake-up call had rung the clearest when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the dead of night, and the day begotten by heaven's light came to earth and is here to stay forever. And that light of day remains even now. See, God bids you and me to live our lives as though awake, to live our lives as though alert, watchful, and vigilant, to be on our feet, out of bed, off our bums, to head out the door with the light of Christ kissing our skin and warming our flesh for the day's work. Awake, awake, put on your strengths, put on your party clothes. Your exile has ended. And then here in verse 3, in the chapter, we hear God entering into an internal monologue with himself, reasoning with himself, as it were in a soliloquy. For thus says the Lord, You are sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, that my, my people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here is seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? God's sharing his logic here. He's sharing the conclusion. It was unfair that my people were peddled away for nothing. They were taken away for nothing. Is it not only fair also then to rescue them without price, without money? See, the adverb without money brings into the picture the Hebrew idea of gratis. That is, their rescue from exile would only be, in other words, by grace. That is, for this context, there will be future grace for judgment and exile that is yet to come upon the people. Now, this is a special kind of life insurance that both Israel and Judah will not be able to afford. Even though that grace will be experienced by them for free, it is God who will be the one to bear the cost to pay the rates, to pay the premium. God will be the one who will literally shoulder his people to carry both the costs and them on his back. And from there, they will, he will bring them from where they've been displaced back into their home. Even far in advance, far in advance before the Babylonian Empire came for Jerusalem, God was already assuring his people, I'll get you back. No matter how far you will be taken away from here, I guarantee it. I swear by my own name. In verse 6, this will be undeniable, that it will be God who will rescue them from that day. In that day, God's people will know the name of God, 
And we'll know that God was not lying, that he was true to his word, and he had been with them all along. He's never left them. Even though they've left the temple, they've left their country, they've left their city, God had been with them in exile. Now these were sobering words for the people of Judah to hear. Words that should terrify. Words that warn of, warn of looming judgment if they did not repent. Words that also lend promise even when it was already far too late. But for a deadline that, that's yet still far away, one could easily procrastinate and defer a response. So the people of Judah, they did not listen. They did not listen to Isaiah. They persisted and they slumped back into their status quo. Justin Welby, the Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury, said that God's announcing of good news, whether that be warnings or promises, they lay bare to the possibility of humanity to simply ignore. God's warnings, God's promises, they are given to us by God and they lay open for us to simply hand wave away. Such was the case even at the news of Messiah's birth, right? I mean, who paid attention to these night shift backcountry shepherds reporting of angels in the sky and seeing a baby in swaddling clothes who was supposed to be the savior of the world? Now, King Herod and all of Jerusalem, they just hand-waved away this news. And even, to deal with the problem, issued to slaughter all of the babies in Bethlehem. It's our challenge in this moment. Today, this Christmas season, as we enter into a new year, as we're slowly emerging from COVID into the cold of winter, with the constant blaring of case and death counts, and even bracing ourselves for what else should come at us at 2021, it's it's our challenge in this moment not to ignore, not to ignore the call of the gospel in our lives, not to overlook what we already know and perhaps have even taken for granted as Christians. Not to hand wave away the warnings and the promises of God, not to procrastinate and defer response at the terrifying prospect of Jesus coming again to judge all people. Shall we persist in the status quo of our own lives? In the status quo of our marriages? In our households and families? in our church, in our city of Toronto? Shall we persist until it's far too late? There will be a day of reckoning when Jesus swore in his Father's name that he will return to earth and pave an indestructible path for God's eternal kingdom. And we pray for his mercy that we could not, we would not get caught that we would not get flattened along the way by the wake of his coming as Jesus would steamroll away all that is proving to be false, wicked, unjust, all that's complacent, all that is unrepentant. But there is yet good news for us. There is yet good news for our world. We come now to this famous portion of Chapter 52, as it was immortalized by the Apostle Paul in his commentary to the Romans. In verse 7, Isaiah's vision turned cinematic. 
the frame rate slows down and we see a sequence of the rush of this good news reporting from afar back home in Jerusalem. See, Isaiah sees a person. He's coming down from a high point in the mountains, someone who had the perspective of heaven. He's carrying news about the coming reign of Yahweh. And he will bring a new government and usher happiness, salvation, and peace into Israel. But above all the things in this scene, Isaiah notices the feet. He notices the feet of the messenger. See, Isaiah casts a spotlight to the person's feet and praises them as beautiful. Now that's an odd thing to highlight because for the ancients, feet, feet are the dirtiest parts of the person. They're the dirtiest parts of the body. Dirt and sweat, they mix and get between the toes, and people wore sandals back then. Dust and grime get caked and baked on their feet throughout the day. See, the feet being the only parts of the body that touch the ground or the earth, the feet, anciently, they symbolize our connection with the dust of the earth. Feet represent our earthly, our temporary nature, our creatureliness, so to speak. The basic essence of our being from dirt and our eventual turning into dust. So this earthy, this dirty messenger had come from the mountains as descending from that special place where God and humans would meet, having dirty, grimy, and earthly feet. But they were beautiful. And why were they beautiful? They were adorned with good news to bear. This messenger runs into the future ruins of Jerusalem as Isaiah saw him. And then in verse 8, the watch guards at their post, they blast out their trumpets, singing and shouting for joy, but not because of the message or the messenger. It says at the end of verse 8, because for eye to eye they see, literally it's idiomatic for saying they saw for themselves, the return of God, the return of the Lord into the holy city. The uproar was because they were seeing with their own eyes God, as it were, himself walking into the ruins, the ruined gates of Jerusalem. But wait, was, was it not the messenger who had just come from the mountains who had entered into Jerusalem? And now Isaiah is saying that it was God himself who had just entered the ruins of the holy city. Now, which one is which? Or was it the same person? See, this messenger that Isaiah saw had centuries later descended from the mountains of heaven, as it were, with feet planted on the earth, swaddled in the manger. He grew up in spirit, with wisdom, with God's grace, and he walked, walked throughout Israel with feet calloused and caked in the dust of our weakness and mortality. And he was proclaiming the good news of the reign of Yahweh. Then one day, this same messenger was greeted and hailed as king as he, as he rode through the gates of Jerusalem, the royal city that's magnificently arrayed and gleaming from the outside, walls painted white, but inwardly it was filled with greed, with corruption, injustice, in religious hypocrisy. This messenger announced salvation and the forgiveness of sins. He announced warnings of judgment and the punishment that would befall on those who would not repent. But then he was dismissed. He was ignored. They waved their hands at him and sentenced him to die on a cross. 
And this was as Isaiah had seen and predicted. Because you see, Isaiah had not finished. He was not finished with the vision that he saw from God in chapter 52. That was not the whole picture. The messenger Isaiah had seen in the beginning of his vision as coming from the mountains bearing good news is the servant of Yahweh, whose appearance Isaiah described at the end of the chapter as so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of humanity. And then this goes on to chapter 53. He was despised, rejected. He's a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He has borne, he has shouldered our griefs. He has carried our costs, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. This messenger with beautiful feet, this suffering servant of Yahweh, is Jesus Christ, born of Mary in Bethlehem, the heir to King David's throne. He bore in his mortal body the good news of the reign of Yahweh, proclaiming liberty to the exiles as he was himself bound up and led away. He announced salvation as he himself was forsaken, abandoned by his friends. Betrayed and left alone. He gave light and life to all, and he himself was swallowed up by darkness and death. But the grave could not stomach him, could not hold him. The darkness could not snuff out the smoldering wick of his light. Jesus had woken up after three days in deep slumber. In deep hibernation, he arose from his exile, burst out of the belly of hell. And his resurrected light has cast its rays with far more luminance, with far more clarity reaching to the farthest ends of the world. And those who have seen his light, if you have seen his light, you and me, we are then commissioned to bear witness to that light. We've become messengers, as it were, of the good news of the reign of Yahweh with feet adorned with Christ's beauty and love, with feet adorned and stepping on where Jesus had already trod, where people awakened and rescued from exile so that we may announce and live out his salvation to those who have yet to see, who have yet to believe, who have yet to embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Let us this Christmas season... In the coming calendar year, keep awake, keep alert to the sound and signal of God's salvation. Because we echo the alarm bells that God reigns in Jesus Christ. He yet reigns on this earth. All authority has been given to him. And may we, be, may we rouse the world from its sleep, from its slumber, and declare liberty to those still in exile, still in sin, still in the grips of Satan. Let us then keep alert and be found at work as we eagerly and patiently await for the return of Christ. For the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. 
Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services. 